Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are Troy Sandlin and John Christian. How you fellas doing? Doing good. Doing good. Well, uh, it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. Uh, we kind of had a whole bunch in the docket, and we're having to recharge, refill the coffers now. Uh, so this is all kind of feels a little bit fresh and refreshing, and I'm excited to get into it. All fresh and new. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a whole docket full of topics that we thought we might cover, um, but this last weekend was Halloween, and yep. uh, John did us all a huge favor and ran... Um, Death House and Strahd Must Die Tonight for a group of us uh, this last week. And what we learned is that when you put uh, a table full of DMs together, there's a lot of real confusion. (laughs) 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 Uh, And it was like, we got to talk about this. Like, we had other ideas, but this this is too staring you right in the face sort of a thing. I don't know. Did you feel that, John? Yeah, what makes it worse is whenever it's kind of like the teacher's sitting over your shoulder while you're taking a test, and it's just like every once in a while that's like they shake their head. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Like when you've got other DMs that are that are in in the wings, the yeah. players will at least give you like your authority as a DM. What little there is, they'll kind of like trust you at your word. But but I kept thinking like, oh man, if I screw this, no, like this is gonna be the one. This is going to be the one where they're all going to find out where that I know nothing about fifth edition mechanics at all. And I'm going to just look like a complete buffoon. Got pretty close a couple times. <laughs> it's uh, it was definitely, it definitely had the feel of like teaching a classroom full of teachers on the same subject. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> well, is that how you do it? Hmm. That's interesting. Well, how would you do it? I don't know. I don't know if I want to go into that. Yeah, it, it, well, I well, would do it by how it did. says it does in the book. Yeah, well, you know, John, if you read the book, you would know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, ow. Yeah. Never, never have. Never yeah. have. Six years on, and yeah. I still haven't cracked it open. There's a, there's a book? Yeah. Mm, right? Yeah. right. Um, it's like, how many times, I don't know if you guys listen to uh, a lot of, I know some of you listen to some podcasts. Troy, you probably listen to more than I do. But how many snide remarks people give on podcasts about like, you know, there's a lot of good, thoughtful ideas on the DMG if people would just read it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I bet every if you listen to D and D podcasts, about every other one, somebody's going to say that. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, what are the rules for selling magic items? Well, there's actually a whole section in the DMG if someone would just pick up the book and crack it open. <laughs> yep. I I love the oh man, that's a really cool idea. How you did that? How, where'd you Where'd you come up with that? It's in the DMG. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Six years in, have you opened that damn book besides the <laughs> besides the treasure charts? <laughs> hey, that shot's fired, and I feel personally attacked. Um, <laughs> what are you doing in my home looking over my shoulder on a daily basis, Troy? Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, though. It was it was a lot of fun. I had I had, I had a blast with everybody doing that. Uh, and I thought it was it – was, it was a it was a, a change of pace, right? When you oh, don't yeah. normally have a bunch of players sitting at the table, there is definitely a different vibe when you've got a bunch of DMs doing oh, it. Oh, hundred percent. It was yeah. cool. It was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the next time. Next time, I'll be sure to kill everyone. Oh yeah, that, sure. that was the only thing that we missed. Um, well, let's before we get into that because we will. 
Um, we've got a lot of news articles. Uh, John, I think I had to stop you at three. Yes. Um, so we've got five for you guys today. John, just take it away. Just uh, dive take in. Tell us just what you got here. Fine. Yeah. Just, just whatever. Okay. Mine are actually pretty quick. All right. So the first one that comes up is Fantasy Grounds Unity has been officially released. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Uh, it is uh, probably the largest competitor to Roll20 right now is yeah. going to be Fantasy Grounds. And this is essentially them unveiling you know, new bobs and bits, bells and whistles with the product, new lighting features, and uh, you can change the different like uh, color saturation and hues and stuff like that of your maps on the fly. Um, that's uh, That came out on no- actually two days. So today, as of this recording, uh, November 5th. That's hmm. when that came out. And so kind of in the same realm of sticking with the virtual tabletop space, um, Foundry is another virtual tabletop that's out there, another another competitor. And they've clinched the rights to Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay uh, to be able to utilize that engine and, and to sell products and make those products available on their marketplace. Uh, so that actually re- it really legitimizes that that VTT. It's not um, exclusive, though, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, because the reason, yeah, uh, Roll Twenty actually uh, has uh, the rights to do it, also. But it, what, I, what I was getting at is it actually legitimizes that that platform. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, so good for them, honestly. Yeah. Uh, more, more competitions, better for the players and for the DMs. You know, um, everybody's trying to scramble for the the best platform, and that's that's a that's a good thing in the long run for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, the next part of that was the Roll20 aspect. They rolled within minutes of a press release for Foundry. Uh, Roll20 was right on the heels of it. So they released a lot of that stuff. I personally love Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. It's, uh, it is gritty. It's not as bad as uh, or as hazardous or dangerous as uh, Call of Cthulhu. I, th- I know we've talked about this before, but it is definitely a darker, grittier mm. Uh, mm-hmm. D&D or fantasy role-playing uh, space. So uh, I've kept, I kind of kept my ear to the ground to it uh, with it. Um, yeah. So those are mine really rapid fire, really quick Man, stuff. And good. just keep everybody up to date in the, in the virtual table stop. Well, I'll, I'll extend it out a little bit by saying that I've had a, uh, the starter kit for Warhammer fantasy sitting on my shelf back there for almost a year now. Hmm. And I'm itching to at least crack it open and try it. Um, so one of these days that's going to happen. Because yeah. I hear a lot of good things. I think Troy, I think you don't fa- favor it that much. I think you talked about it's like getting kicked in the nuts or something like that. Is, is how yeah, you pretty it. much. Pretty that's that's how that's how my experience with it was. Um, <laughs> no account for taste, man. Well, you know, I I love the lore. I love you know the, the Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, all that stuff has such awesome lore and history to it. It's so cool. Um, and it could have just been the session that I played, but it was, it was like, I could do nothing. Mm. And it's like the entire session was basically just me, you know, attempting things, failing miserably and trying to run away to save my life. That was, Oh man, that sounds like real adventuring to me, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. that. <laughs> I don't play D&D to be real about it. I'd have been dead years ago. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was just, I mean, there was no, there was no, oh, I hit with my attack. I never mm-hmm. hit once the entire session. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, 
uh, it's unforgiving. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that it's. It is unforgiving. Like a, you can start. If, if memory serves, you can actually start in one of the older versions or older iterations of it. You could start with like you lost an eye, or you start with a peg leg, or something like that, or some kind of a um, kind of disability, or or something like that. So, yeah, it can be. It's it's pretty rough. But to honestly, me- like my favorite D and D, my favorite levels are one through five. I love well, low level too. survival, scrounging for the every copper that you can get, and all that good stuff too. But yeah, but yeah. even a first level D and D character can can smack a goblin. You yeah, know, that's true, but. To me, it's almost like watching American Ninja Warrior compared to the original Japanese version where nobody wins ever. That's the best Ameri- one, though. Makoto Amer- Nagano for the win. Yeah. And how many years did that show run before they actually got somebody to, to, to get past, you know, oh, all those know. things? But that's and awesome, that's- though, because when you, when you do – wait a minute. Hang on a second. Weren't you just the one that told me that I shouldn't lament have, having not brought my DM screen with me because me kicking the crap out of my players was actually a good thing in the long run because they survived it? Like, that's kind oh, of the same experience, isn't no, it? No, it's not the same at all. It's, like, it, it, it's, it's American versus other cultures. You know, Americans, that's why Americans don't like soccer. When you can have a grand championship and it ends up in a tie, you know, who wins? You know, and I, I, I know not all Americans don't <laughs> like soccer. Uh, here but, we go. Get, send but, those emails to my DM sucks at gmail.com. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we'll expect those, uh, expect those when this drops. <laughs> but, you know, that, I think that's why they changed the American Ninja Warrior version because we, the, like, the Japanese culture seems to be more about the struggle. Yeah. And it's like, whether whether you get through it or not, you you've taken part of the struggle, and that's cool because I used to watch the old versions of that, you know. And uh, what was the uh, the the castle, the one the castle one where they run across the oh, pond? Yeah, I'm and, talking about. yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to watch those too, and it was funny because it's like, man, these people are just beating themselves to death, and they're never gonna win. But then, like, if you look at like from the American point of view. We we want that person that rises above all the rest to finally make yeah, it. If if you can't once... get out of if you can't get out of stage one ever, yeah. eventually people are gonna be like, uh, I'm gonna stop watching because nobody makes it past the first obstacle. I wanna see what they do on the oh, fifth obstacle. So, close. so okay, I won't go too much further on this beating the, the ninja warrior horse too much, but yeah. Uh, it's kind of like dovetailing it with with D anD D at least. Part of that, like those really hard games and the, the grittier uh, fantasy, not like that that kind of a mechanic, lends it to itself to the thing that I love the most about Ninja Warrior. And that's not necessarily how hard it is or how many times like they fail or fall into the water or whatever. It's watching the other competitors, quote unquote competitors in the in the, the Japanese version. On mm-hmm. the sidelines, genuinely cheering on the others. It's not about oh yeah them ver- like one of the, them being versus each other. It's them versus the obstacle, the, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of like that's I think that's one of the things maybe that appeals to me about a darker, grittier fantasy is that it forces the players to cohese more, or it's you're going to end up getting uh, getting uh, taken out pretty quick, quickly. So yeah, hmm. uh, and that and that and Zach is like Zach's over here going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> why why are we talking about American Ninja Warrior? This is supposed to be gaming. No. Um, That's a game. You know, it's it either game. forces the party to cohese or it or the that party adopts the uh, the lack of survivability and 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 relishes in it right you either you either live together or you die together yeah rather quickly yeah (laughs) yeah and 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 that and again it may maybe it was just the session i ran or played in i don't know maybe the uh the game master i don't know but it was like to fix this there's only one way to fix this Zach, let us know when you're ready for us to play that that starter set. Oh yeah, absolutely. There you go. I was just thinking about. Um, and when ran... you get all the rules wrong, we're not going to know. That's right. It's going to be <laughs> perfect. Right. Um, I played a. I, I ran a, a Call of Cthulhu one shot for two different groups of people that I play with a lot. And the first group really cared whether they lived or died. They wanted to live. And that was their focus, was getting out of this module in one piece, right? The second group was, and, and they struggled and fought and they got out, right? Like, and that was the win for them. The second group is like, this is this game is about dying and about dying to scary stuff. And about sometimes you becoming the scary stuff that kills other people, right? Like, and they embrace that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. The Troy's raising his hand. Which, um, which group? Which group was I a part of? I, you know, which group you were. A part of. <laughs> I wanted to live, damn it! <laughs> but no, but but like uh, to me, and they embraced it, and they didn't get out of there. <laughs> At least not very many of them. Um, but both of them had fun, and and to me, that's that's what that sort of game brings about. Is you really have to steer into one or the other. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, you do. Um, yeah, like uh, either trying to run away from the chainsaw or jump directly into the meat grinder. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is a perfect segue, so I'm going to go ahead and take us there so we don't spend all our time on this. Um, The Kickstarter that I would like to present to you all for my uh, news article of the week is Eldritch, the Book of Madness for 5e. Um, This product is about two-thirds of the way funded as of this recording in its first week, so it should have no problem funding. This is a collection of creatures, cults, and madness for 5th edition. Um, I I am certainly of the opinion that we don't have enough aberrant monsters, especially like coupled with layers and adventures or hooks and things like that for 5th edition yet, especially not in the core, core books. Um, so I'm excited about this one. Um, I don't, you know, it's it's right. It has to rise to the challenge of toppling um, the Cthulhu Mythos for five ebook that's sitting on my shelf. Um, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, this is by Black Vault. This is the first Kickstarter that they've done. It has a lot of really nice looking art in the book. Um, the one thing that I'll note is that this is not a huge book. It's a hardcover, um, full size in that respect. But I think they're shooting for around 100 pages or so, um, which is very small for a hardcover. Um, I think they're really only sh- shooting for about 20 monsters. That being said, I think that they have a vision for e- what sort of book they want to make and how they want to present these creatures. And I'm really excited to see how that develops. 
And the, the hardcover is like 25 bucks. So they, they're taking into account that it's a smaller book. Mm-hmm. The, the, art looks, the, the art's beautiful. Yeah, the cover, the, the cover image alone is just a, it's just a whole big bag of nope. Mm-hmm. You see <laughs> that thing? It's like, I'm out. <laughs> teeth on teeth on teeth. Just, just do I fall on my own sword or, or do we take turns just killing each other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, uh, you always take a gamble on, on new on new uh, Kickstarter creators, but this book looks like it has an agenda, right? It has a plan. I think it's all, they say it's already all been written, so it's just about layout and all that, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. I really hope they they get their funding in a bit more and we see a really cool book out of it because... Um, I, I was just talking, there are certainly other types of creatures that have less representation, but if you look at like, if you pull up D&D Beyond and look at how many monsters are aberrants, there are four pages of them. Um, if you pull up something like, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to pull up something here, I'm going to be super wrong. Um, but if you pull up something like Constructs. You also you have seven pages, and to me that's that's a weird uh, discrepancy that I would like to see uh, revised. So, anyhow, that's uh, Eldritch on Kickstarter. Cool. All right, Troy, you got a, one more Kickstarter, and I'm excited about this one too. So I'm glad you picked it up. I do. It is before the stroke of midnight. It is a 5e uh, adventure inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. And I mean, seeing as how Halloween was just this past weekend, I I thought this was appropriate to talk about this. Um, It is a classic murder mystery set in, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe-ish settings. You've got... uh, New mo- a few new monsters, a uh, new magical item. The the map that I saw on the page looks really really nice. Um, the yeah, the story behind it is the you know the classic uh, who done it kind of thing, but it's 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 steeped in the in the in the poish uh, horror type stuff. It just looks fantastic. You've got. Uh, 80 pages of con- approximately 80 pages of content and for the PDF, just for the PDF, six pounds, not weight. Uh, you know. <laughs> using stone tablets. Yeah. Using stone tablets to, to, to this. Uh, the hardcover um, is uh, only 15 pounds. So, mm. and you get the PDF with it. It just looks, it just looks fantastic. Interesting. Yeah, I and, like it. And I want to see. I want to see uh, how. I want to see someone come along and make mystery and investigation and things like that in five e work. Because that that to me is one of those things that five e mo- most five e is not geared for that because there's way too many things that. Uh, the, the PCs have at their disposal that just ruins all mystery. Mm-hmm. 
too many mm-hmm. too many different spells, too many different skill checks and things like that that can just Oh, he's the guy that did it right there. Oh, we're ten minutes into the session and we're done. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So I, I'm really curious to see how how these the these these people pull this off. And I mean what better way to do it than a with an Edgar Allan Poe inspired murder mystery. Yeah, and uh, the company that's behind it, the couple guys, Midnight Tower is their uh, uh, company, I should, I guess, is is the easiest way to put it. But um, they have they started their first Kickstarter about this time last year, and they this is their now fourth successful one. So there's somebody to watch because they're doing good stuff. They're get, they're growing every time, and uh, they're starting to put together a pretty nice line of products. So, uh, pretty cool. Cool. Okay, so that's our news. Uh, let's talk a little bit now about our main our main course. <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about the lead up, which is that. Uh, John Rand games, and we learned how confusing it can be when <laughs> when you've all got a different way of how the rules work in your head. Um, so we thought something that we could talk about was rules that we've gotten wrong, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Um, why we've gotten them wrong, how badly we've gotten them wrong at sometimes. Um, <laughs> Man, so so as we're starting this off, I'm going to say, just for our listeners, so John ran those two sessions, and there was, we had four players one session and five players the other, and there were times where the whole game had to be paused. Not very many times, but there were several times where somebody would pause the game and be like, I don't know that I'm right. <laughs> but I think but I that this. Be. But but this is maybe I don't. I feel like this is wrong, and and then there would be times when John would be like, "Wait, what are you doing? I don't think that's how that works." <laughs> and right. it was just. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, like you know, I would say that all of the people that were playing on those have played the game for at least a decade, thereabouts, bare minimum. And, and um, some of them way more than that, sometimes multiples of that. And most of them were GMs, DMs that ran at cons and, you know, heavily run games. And there was so much confusion at times, uh, especially, especially, and John, I'm going to let you take lead on this one because mm-hmm. it's kind of your baby. Uh, but especially, we'll start off with uh, stealthing specifically around hiding and invisibility as two things that we all get wrong all the time. Talk to us about why. Well, part of the, part of my complaint was that how, how spread out everything is in the PHP. It's a, it's a great book and it's obviously it's, it is, um, it is very carefully crafted. Every word and every sentence is very meaningful in the way that they, they crafted everything. But sometimes things are spread out. So one of those in particular is uh, either stealthing, invisibility, 
or attack like attacking something or being attacked by something that is hidden or obscured from view. And so the the scenario is Strahd casts greater invisibility. And so that means for a full 10 rounds he gets to run from person to person indiscriminately and take a poke at them with very little recourse in the in the way of the, the player's actions. So uh, what I got wrong is that, well, first of all, I completely forgot that, and this is on me, just a bonehead, that I, I forgot that whenever you cannot see the, the target, um, that, that, that tar whoever is attacking you that is invisible or is unseen, they have advantage to attack the target that they're attacking that can't mm -hmm. see them. <laughs> uh, that was the first thing. So uh, luckily for the, the players, uh, they didn't go the full 10 rounds with him having advantage on every single every slam and every bite attack that he made um uh, the other thing uh, other part of that though is whenever it comes to moving around as an invisible creature invisibility is only half the game when it comes to hiding there's you have to you cannot be seen or heard in order to be hidden um strahd was obscured from sight but not from sound i'm gonna i'm going to hold off on my complaints about a vampire <laughs> clopping around like a Clydesdale in his own in his own lair and how that's how silly that sound seems to me however rules as written uh say that uh if you are uns just because you're invisible doesn't mean you can't be heard and because you can be heard you know which which square or where the invisible creature is as long as it's within earshot effectively right mm -hmm. so that was part of that was part of the other thing it's like for the first half of the fight i would say until we this kind of re, we all kind of took a look at the the rules again, refreshed our memories. The first half of the fight was him just going over, attacking somebody, running off, and then people are just like swinging at dead air, trying to find trying to find where Strahd is. Uh, and there was another part where uh, <laughs> at one point I could tell in Zach's frustration, he's like, "So don't I get like an attack of opportunity against this guy if he walks a, a, away from me?" So. At the time, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like, let's just keep it going because at this point, we we had it hadn't ground to a halt. But I was of trying to keep the game inside of the timeline or the time frame that we'd all de determined, and I just, I didn't want to get like into a into a rules debate or not even a debate, not necessarily, but like a re rules research more than yeah. anything else. Because I think we were all just curious about it. And nobody was really worried about it all that much. But um, in retrospect, looking back at it, I think at the, after the game, when we really dug into it. The one thing that I had completely forgotten is if you, in order to uh, get an attack of opportunity against a creature, you have to be able to see it. Yeah. And that is explicitly stated in the rules. So it's just sight and line of sight, hidden, stealthed, invisible, unseen attackers and targets. There's a lot that's that's going on there, and it's really spread out. I mean, uh, there's uh, invisible is on page two ninety one as the condition. Uh, of the, pay the player's handbook, unseen attackers and targets are on pages uh, 194 through 195. There's all there are also references in the DMG about attacking and about uh, in uh, monsters and creatures that are invisible and how that works in combat. Opportunity attacks and the information about not being able to see that's also on page 195 of the PHB. So it's all over the place. And so this is just one of the things that kind of cropped up, but it really I think it brought up a really good topic of. I think for me, it wasn't a matter of, I felt pretty confident about it until I was in a room full of DMs. 
and, and, every, and I was like, everybody knows as much, if not more, than what I know. And so being called on a bad role, <laughs> on like a, 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 like making a bad call, is more egregious for me from like a from a peer perspective. So it was, uh, and, yeah. And, and I think there. everybody had little tweaks that they had kind of homebrewed at least for how right. it was going to work at their table. Like what you had said was when somebody cast Firebolt that they could cast and they had to draw a line and if Strahd was in the line mm-hmm. then they could hit him but if he yep. wasn't in the line and that was a guess right like because we didn't know what square initially uh so like and and i can see a world where that makes sense right like sure. it completely makes sense um and so as a home as a home rule i think it works perfectly fine and it makes invisibility better um, really fascinating, and I, I think, I think, culminated at least on my end with uh, finding a podcast where Jeremy Crawford takes like twenty minutes. Anytime Jeremy Crawford has to take twenty minutes to explain something, it's probably a mess. Right. That dude can say things in the clearest way possible, and he's like, "Okay, here's here's an entire podcast segment trying to explain how invisibility and height works." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, it's too complicated. It's." probably has to be this complicated but it's too complicated um okay well yeah you definitely kicked us off there that's the impetus for this discussion is the mess of invisibility um i'll jump into one that always i always get wrong even today um and that is disarming traps who knew you disarm traps with these tools and not sleight of hand I don't know how many years it's been, but I use sleight of hand every time, every time. Um, And in fact, I use – if I'm thinking about it and I'm trying to be right, I'll say it's an intelligence sleight of hand check. Um, But that's me trying to be clever. If I'm not being clever and I'm trying to play rules as written, I think I'm – and I think I'm doing that. I'm going to do sleight of hand every time. It's not. It's Thieves Tools. Um. But well, you know, whenever to, the, when the game first came out, the entire the idea of like tools and how that applied to roles, like even the 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 skills section of the PHB is relatively nebulous in a mm-hmm. in a lot of different in a different places. And then whenever you incorporate tools into it, it's like how do do I how do I do this? It's like can I actually do a can I can I pick a lock if I don't have if if I have thieves tools or. Uh, does it? I just don't get the proficiency or, or what, right? So yeah. it took a I mean, while for te- that to kind of to stick. Go ahead, Troy. Yeah, but technically speaking, I mean, if you're proficient, you know, in sleight of hand, it's going as long as you have thieves' tools on your person, it's the same role, right? Yeah, but I I don't even take so, into consideration thieves' tools for for disarming traps. I see. So hmm. I mean, like if a, if I had a rogue that was like, oh, can I use thieves' tools? I'd probably say yes. That makes sense. But they're not my go-to, and they at this point I don't think they ever will be. When I when I make a when I call for a check, it's going to be a sleight of hand. I think for me it comes from like my understanding of it, and kind of already having put putting the pieces together for that was from the old AD and D because you had a lock picking set, but then you all there were also additional tools of the trade like uh, a small air bladder that you could use to to blow talcum powder out that would show you where there are like 
uh, air currents and drafts yes. and stuff like that. So like, yes. there was the minutia of the little things. That the, snippers, the snippers yeah. for the trip wires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a yep. lever or like almost like a crowbar type device to get inside of there. So those were like the those auxiliary, auxiliary tools in their in their tool belt outside of just a, pe- a, a lock picking set. And so in, D- in 5th edition, they wrapped it all up into one kit. And so that's why they, that's why they disarm. Yeah. Tr- trying to find a trap in advanced D and D is nothing like trying to find a trap in fifth edition. Sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you had this, I'm looking at the statue. Well, where on the statue are you looking? I'm looking at the feet of the statue. Are you looking at the front of the feet or the back of the feet? I'm looking at the back of the feet. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm touching. I'm, I'm doing this. Does it move? No. Does it do this? No. I, I'm going to take my little crowbar thing. I'm going to do, nope, doesn't do that. Well, I'm going to go around to the front of the, t- you know, it's like now, you know, it's like I'm going to check for traps. You make that, you make the one check and somehow with that one check, you've searched the entire room. Yeah. I found nothing. It, Troy, when you, when you were going through the, they describing AD&D trap detection, it was like a radio play of past uh, yeah. past adventures and <laughs> sessions that I've been on where I'm like, oh my god, could we just can we go past the friggin' trap already? Yep. Yep. I do miss those days some sometimes just because, oh. you know, I'm gonna check this hallway for traps. One roll. Okay, carry yeah. on. And what what I enjoy, Troy, is that you you both times so far have said one roll. Yeah, make a roll. You refuse to say perception or investigation. And mm. it's there's a reason for that. I know, and I, <laughs> I want to point out that I believe this is an example of a rule that you are getting wrong intentionally. Because yeah. I would hazard a guess that if what? Troy was forced to have a player make a roll for invest for checking out a statue, you would have them roll an investigation check. Yes. And, and that is you choosing to be wrong. And I would choose to be wrong there, too, because it's a perception all day long. And, and and to me that makes no sense. But I agree. I we're, agree. We haven't we haven't got there yet. If uh, I'm assuming we're getting there. Soon. Well, I, I think we should just dive into that. Because dive into that one. Okay. I think okay. I think we can talk about that. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, like, if you take investigation as written, it's the most worthless skill you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at least in my court, and I, I know in Troy's, um investigation gets about half of what perception is supposed to have uh-huh. um, i i i look do you mind if i take this one? Oh yeah do it do it, do it. For, for me perception and investigation perception is walking into a room and glancing around and noticing there's a smudge of mud on the floor that picture is cocked to one side and it wasn't a moment ago things like that investigation is I walk into the room, I walk over to that picture, and now I'm looking, is there anything behind it? Is there is there a trip? Why did this thing move? Um, uh, getting down on my hands and knees and checking out the mud smear on the floor. Uh, do I do I recognize the mud? Is it is it the red clay mud that's out in the garden? You know, that kind of a thing. Or go back to your statue. It's when you set, go from, I'm looking at the statue to... I'm interacting with the feet of the statue. Yes. It to me, investigation is active. Yeah. You have to be messing with something. Perception is 
a glance or something catches out of the corner of your eye or something just looks maybe a little bit off. It's just, it's in generalities. It's something that draws your attention to something of interest. Investigation is fine-tooth comb, uh, Sherlock Holmes and his and his uh, magnifying glass, things like that. You're, you're having, is an active ability. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of like, like, in my mind, when you're like investigating a murder, right? Uh, when you walk into the room and you're like, and the DM's like, oh, someone's over there is dead. And uh, there's blood everywhere. If the character's like, well, I want to go check it out and I want to see um, if I can determine um, where they were standing and where they died. That's an investigation check. It's not a perception check, right? Um, except it isn't. <laughs> and we're choosing yeah. to be wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. So many. Well, see, but yeah. I look at it a little bit differently than even the two of you do, right? I, I think of perception as the detection of the trap, investigation as to the disabling of the trap or trying to disarm the trap. But I also I go further than just those two those two abilities and go into even arcana. If there is a, a magical or an arcane component to it, then like a, a historic knowledge of, you know, this being used in some other ruin or temple yeah. or something like that, or even a history check could even yep. be used. Like, honestly, traps, they almost suit themselves in 5e, like a skill challenge, right? Yes. So it, it can be multi-pronged and multi-leveled, a layered approach to it. Like, you know, you're, it is, uh, and you kind of like, you're peeling back the layers of the onion as you, as you go. And then bad things will happen or the next, the next check, next check may be more difficult because you didn't notice something else or you didn't notice this one little hole that was in there and that's where the the poison needle shoots out and stabs you in the finger and mm -hmm. kills you on the spot that kind of stuff so yeah you brought up an interesting thing which is i like different di allowing different skills and what i always tell my players is um you can roll as, to use your example you can roll an arcana or a history check on this but you're going to get different information depending on which one you roll mm -hmm. um and so it's not just a I can pick and I and I'm, and it doesn't just pick the one that's better, right? It's like, well, what kind of information do I actually think I'll value more? What's mm -hmm. more pertinent? If I'm if I'm looking at this chest and I'm trying to understand what the glyphs are, and I and the DM says an arcana or a history, if I roll a history, it's just going to give me some like background on glyphs on chests. <laughs> it's not going right. to give me what is the purpose of this glyph on this chest? Yeah. I think that another, the way that I look at that is cause I'm with you. I'm, I'm okay with if the players can give me a legitimate reasoning or like a logical reasoning as to why they would use one skill over another mm -hmm. uh, one that I think about or not even necessarily one skill over the other, but one ability score for the bonus as uh, over the other one would be intimidation, right? It's the difference between, Batman uh, interrogating somebody and Fessick from mm. the Princess Bride sure. <laughs> intimidating yeah. somebody, right? Like I think being I 10 feet hot. tall, being 10 feet tall and like clonking somebody on the head or using brute strength uh, to intimidate versus like uh, sly cunning or threats, like veiled threats and things like that. So hmm. it's it, to me, they're interoperable. It's not rules as written. But there's enough flexibility in there to where it does make it makes logical sense, and I'm okay with making those those calls on the fly as necessary. 
Interesting. Well, I've got two here that are really short, and I think they're just me, so we can grab them and then move on, keep us rolling. Uh, jumping, I have a hard time remembering that that's athletics and not acrobatics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my mind, when I think about somebody like leaping over uh, over a crevasse or, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, run and then jump over an icy patch where the creek is frozen over, I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's probably acrobatics, right? Uh, you know, cat's grace, that sort of stuff. Um, it's not, it's athletics. It's always athletics. Jumping is always athletics, but, um, that's my fault. Well, I think that's to me, cause I, I have that on my list too. Athletics versus acrobatics. Um, I think acrobatics is misnamed. And then that's, and to me, that's the problem because acrobatics is keeping your balance. But when we, when we think of acrobatics, we think of, you know, the floor routine during the Olympics. They're they're doing acrobatics because that's what it's called. They're they're running and jumping and flipping and doing all these amazing things. But no, what they just did was a series of acrobatics checks. Right. Well, see, and, I do I do the I do a, like the same thing as before. I'll do a like a, a multi pronged approach to it. Right. It's like sometimes it's the wind up in the pitch. To Zach's point, if they're trying to jump across a chasm, a crack, or whatever, they may do. A, a run and a like a almost like a like a like you said Troy a, a floor routine but you're kind of doing like a whenever they'll flip uh, over the uh, the pommel horse or like mm-hmm. that well they'll do like a front hand spring off of it they're doing that kind of an acrobatic effect to to give themselves an additional boost to uh, to the athletic uh, to the jump itself right so what I'll do is I'll usually reduce the uh, based on whatever role that they give for their acrobatics check. That I'll actually reduce the DC of going across or, yeah. or trying to f- fulfill that athletic ability, right? And like mm-hmm. I said, like a one-two punch or kind of like a tr- a wind up in a pitch for a for an ability, or I'll use them interoperably if if need be. Kind of like with grapple, sometimes you use athletics to just break free, and sometimes you wriggle out like a worm using acrobatics. Right, and and that example, that whole that wriggling out like a worm, I don't understand why that is acrobatics i don't you know that to me is like oh, it's a dexterity okay. check and it fits yeah, it's, a, it's it's shoved into acrobatics to, because yeah yeah to um, me acrobatics needs to go away hmm. athletics should be either strength or dexterity depending on the check that you're asking for yeah and just I, get rid of acrobatics altogether yeah, because I the, the the example that I think about, especially with jumping, the thing that always hangs me up, because uh, it's so perfect, is Legolas and Gimli, in Moria. Right, oh, Legolas yeah. jumps over everything, no problem. He's the Dex mm-hmm. character. Gimli can't jump for squat, right? And he's got he's got the highest strength in the party, right? Um, it's not about your strength score; it's about where that strength is allocated, like you said, right? Like. Anyhow, so so jumping. The other one that kind of ties in with with that is not really, but but I it's movement based is movement, and I, I have a hard time remembering sometimes that you can't move through an enemy space at all. It's not dis you know it's not difficult terrain. It's not. I mean, if your DM wants to adjudicate, you having to make an acrobatics or an athletics check to get through. <laughs> yeah, That's great. Yeah. Technically, that should take your action right. Um, yep. Yep. But but the rules as written is 
there may as well be a wall there. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, there are some examples of, of, you know, like halflings of you being able to do that. But com- assuming a standard engagement, medium humanoid on medium humanoid, ain't no way you're getting through that space. Right. Well, that's yeah. that's the that's the entire game th- theory of D and D is like here's the baseline and the rest is exception. Yeah. Halfling yep. is the exception to the rule, right? But the rule is, unless otherwise stated, you cannot move through another enemy space. Yeah. So that's yeah. Those are those are just two quick ones for me. But. Well, I'm gonna make it not quick. Okay, go for it. Um, that's like I don't know how, how many of you all saw the little meme where the the guy laid out two by fours and showed what a five foot by five foot square mm-hmm. actually looked mm-hmm. like with a person standing in it. And it's like, yeah, all day long you should be able to tumble past somebody or do something to get past, you know, if they're engaged in something to me, that five by five foot representation of actually getting to see what that looks like opened up a lot of ideas. It's like, well, that's why a spear is not a reach weapon. Got it. Makes sense now, because it's mm-hmm. not it's not long enough to be a reach weapon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know things like that. It was it was really eye opening, and I I kind of I get it for combat, but that five foot square that thought process has has prov- you know has kind of like infiltrated every other aspect of D and I'm walking along. Uh, I'm checking this out or I'm in this room and I want to, Oh, he's already standing over there in that square. That, that's fine. You can stand over there too, but he's already in that square. It's five feet by five feet. You're two, you're two humans. You can totally <laughs> stand next to each other in five feet. You know, it's, it's kind of one of those, the five feet, the five foot thing is only for combat. Yeah. It's the only time it really matters. Any other time. Yeah. You can, you can occupy somebody else's square. But yeah, mm-hmm. that whole thing. If if I'm in the corner of my square fighting, somebody should be able to 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 make it past the opposite quarter that I'm standing in through my square. But yeah, it would yeah. be an acrobatics check. Yeah. Uh, John, you you have one about readying actions I that I thought was really good. Yeah. So uh, readying actions are, I dare say almost needlessly complicated and they're mm-hmm. not. And the, the ready action verbiage is not the easiest thing to decipher. Like it, the rest of the book is so calculated and, and very specific. There's so much room for interpretation with the way that a ready action works. Some things that we know, we know that readying an action, uh, whenever you, whenever the trigger, you have to, um, determine a trigger and then, um, on your turn, determine the trigger. And then uh, as a reaction, whenever the trigger is triggered, whenever that, whenever that event is triggered, then you can do an action to, you know, to counter the trigger or whatever. Right. So an example would be if the call to steps on the trap door, then I'd pull the lever that that opens it. Or if a goblin steps uh, in front of me, then I attack it, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, So, you have to decide the perceivable circumstance that your reaction is going to actually occur on. And then you choose the action you will take. And it says action in lower, like a lowercase a, 
right? So everything's very, very specific. In the PHP, there is an action. N action is an uppercase A action, right? It doesn't specify that it's any kind of action. Right? So one of the things that I'm still stumped on, and I'm not convinced either way, is movement when you're readying an action. Not whenever it triggers the reaction, when the reaction triggers, but on my turn, it's my in the, in the initiative order. It's it's me, right? Do I can I still move before I quote unquote ready my action, or can or is it that's my entire turn is going to be to ready an action, right? Right. So Troy is giving the motion for that's it's everything, and that's I'm gonna, how I'm gonna I agree it. because it, spe- it specifies in it the real only reason why it, well this is the thing it it's not clear it doesn't say one way it, or no, it's the not. the closest the, cl- the closest thing it comes to is it says to do so you can ready the uh, take the ready action on your turn so that you can act later in ra- in uh, in round where is it at I'm looking at it uh, yeah th- you can choose your action to response to the yeah, there you go. You choose the action you will take in response to the trigger, or you choose to move up to your speed in response to it. Not, you can use an action, and one of those actions can be dash. No, it says either or, right? So that's why it's it feels to me, based on this, even though it's really, really obfuscated, that if you ready an action, that's all you do that turn. So, so the counter to that is that movement is not an action. That's that's the change from three third edition to fifth edition, mm-hmm. is that movement is not considered an action. Movement is movement. So, mm-hmm. the 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 hiccup in the wording that I don't like on ready is that there is the ready action, which is a specific type of action, just like the attack action or the dodge action or the help action. There's a ready action that you take mm-hmm. on your turn, and the ready action allows you to ready an action <laughs> yeah it's just... which but but it's but but the beauty of it is that or the 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 intricacy of it is that an action is not the same as a specific action it's a lower case and it means something different at least in my interpretation and so that's the reason why you can't as a barbarian you can't ready an an attack and then get your extra attack as well um, because you did not, you're not readying the attack action. You're readying an attack as an action. Yeah, but didn't you look up something uh, before the show where uh, Jeremy Crawford stepped in and said that that was that that's the opposite was true that it is actually any one of the actions can be triggered, right? So, so what what I was reading before, just as a point of clarity from uh, a Sage Advice column with Jeremy Crawford, was that. Um, extra attack specifies on your turn. You use it mm-hmm. on your turn because you don't ready an action and use that readied action on your turn. You cannot use extra attack. Right. You can only use a regular action. Um, it's really complex because it's it's disallowing some things while allowing others. Because in in my interpretation of readying an action, you could ready the dodge action. You could ready a hide action. You just couldn't ready a multi-step action, like well, and I'm okay. I'm actually okay yeah. with that because if if it takes your entire turn to ready an action, you forego the movement. Then what you're not doing is holding your action, which is not a thing in fourth in fifth edition anymore. Yeah. That was a third edition mechanic 
where you could essentially delay your action until a particular uh, point in the initiative order, and then that's where you were from that move that point right. forward. But right. readying an action would prevent effective. It, you're not going to do that anyway, but you're not going to be able to just hold your action until a certain point, and then you get to move and you get to attack. It's I'm not going to do anything unless this thing triggers, and whatever it triggers, I'm either going to be able to move or use an action. Yeah, you can't. You can't ready both things you can right. in my interpretation you can move on your turn and then ready an action but you can't ready move and action hmm. yeah so yeah. well go ahead troy why why do you why do y'all think that they got rid of delaying and changed it to ready because honestly delaying to me makes it's it's just way easier hmm. i want to delay okay I'm I'm gonna go after so and so. Okay, cool. I have no idea. You're, I think it was. I think I mean, it was that's it. You're done. Thing about you know trying to fix something that ain't broken. It, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, well, and there's it's even it's even more complicated than that with radiation. Now let's talk about spells. Yeah. Spell casting with a radiation. If, if one of the things that I wasn't completely clear on until going through the steps again here and. You have to like go this thing, through this thing with a fine tooth comb to really understand the the nuts and bolts of some of these some of these mechanics. So readying a sp- a spell, right? I want to uh, shoot a uh, cast fire bolt if an enemy comes in range, right? If you or let's do, let's do one better. Let's say fireball, right? Uh, and so if you ready an action and you are at, ready a spell and you are attacked and hit and struck. Then you have to first of all you have to um, you have to make a concentration check in order to maintain the spell. If you fail, you lose the spell. You and you waste the slot. Same thing goes for if your if the um, the criteria of your trigger is not met uh, before the end of, before your turn comes around, then you lose the spell slot also. So like if if your your uh, if you have a first level spell like burning hands or the, the enemy has to come within range of you if they never come into range and you've readied that spell it's wasted if you don't use it by the end of your by the your next turn i feel like i saw i don't know that it was a sage advice i feel like it was an interview with crawford where he said that in hindsight he felt like that was that's definitely rules as written but he felt like it was unnecessarily cruel to the spellcaster to force them to lose the slot that they were already effectively losing a turn by readying an action and then not using it and that that was enough that being said you're absolutely right that's um raw yeah i agree and that's where it's it's tough whenever you're at a table uh playing adventurers league and you're trying to you're you're supposed to play it to the letter rules as written um, as opposed to being at your at the your own your personal gaming table and doing homebrew, where you can have that flex, to where sometimes the rules are overly rigid and yeah. they they impede the fun. Exactly. Cool. Uh, let's see. Um, inspiration. Who wants to talk about inspiration? I will because I'm the one that put it down. Perfect. Uh, inspiration, as it is written. It says that you're supposed to award it when a player plays to his his personality traits. Traits, mm-hmm. bonds, flaws, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No one that I know yeah. does that. 
no one awards inspiration on those criteria. Um, I don't at my home table, and I sure don't at any convention table that I play. Hopefully Dave's not listening to this. Anyway, <laughs> the reason being, you know, I sit down at a convention table back in the back in the times that we could meet in person. I don't have time to look at every single person's character sheet and make note of their traits, bonds, and flaws. And then, and maybe more to the point, I don't have the wherewithal and the brain power to keep all those in mind for the next four hours that I'm with these people to make sure, oh, you know, Sarah just, you know, uh, role played to her, to her bond. You, you get an inspiration. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so it's, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm guessing that across the board that p- if people actually use inspiration in their games, they're awarding it for something cool that was done or something that made you laugh. Basically. Yeah. I would call them differently. I would say I award them most often for things that are, that I find clever or a big one for me is when you come to the table and drop some pertinent lore at the right time, right? If you can work in setting lore into what's going on with your character or the world around you, that's like really interesting to me. And so I'll probably give it to you. And if you're, if you, the, the Colville talks about this, I think, I think it's Colville talks about using inspiration as a way to steer people in the right direction. Yes. And so, you know, when you, when they create a plan that you're like, actually, I think that's a great plan. It's a great use of their resources. And I think it should work. Give them inspiration as soon as they tell, you know, bring up that plan. Yes. I I, I do that a lot too. Is like, I'll be sitting there and somebody will, will say something as they're trying to come up with something. And, you know, they're, they've been dancing around the clue this whole time. And someone offhandedly says, oh, I think it was maybe we should check this. I will toss them an inspiration. Yeah. I don't say anything. I don't kind of ding, 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 ding. I toss them an inspiration and let them, Oh, why did he do that? Why did he do that? uh, So I I hate to do this to you, Troy, but uh, do it to me. When was the last time you read the dungeon master's guide again? Uh, page 240 of the DMG says awarding inspiration as an entire section on it. And it says award inspiration when players take actions that make the game more exciting, amusing, or memorable. <laughs> Role-playing, heroism, a reward for victory, genre emulation, players, and inspiration. So you can even remember that a player with inspiration can award it to another player. That's in the rules, right? And that's actually it, one that I that, did not – in the rules says that you can do that, Right. That's one. That's one thing that I don't do often enough. Honestly, is let my yes. players award it to each other. And and this th- to me, this also goes back to kind of something we were talking about off camera. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm referring to inspiration as it is discussed in the PHB. Right. Yes. And I'll be the first. Per- I'll be the first to admit that I have not read through the DMG. <laughs> you know what? I I'll, have I'll even, I'll even admit this. I'll even admit this. I'm going to go on record on this podcast right now. I haven't read the damn player's handbook. Oh wow, that's that's bold words there, my friend. John I froze mean, for a minute. When I did. He that. did. Oh. 
yeah. He his heart skipped a few beats. No, that's not to say I've not read. I've I've not read the player's handbook from front to back. That's right. yeah. In one no, yeah, I, I've yes. read the intention. I have read yeah. like all of the everything essentially up to spells. Yeah, you got to be I got careful. To the spells, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not, gonna, I'm not about to try to remember, memorize this entire spell book. That's not. You got to be careful, right? Because Colville, I remember when Colville sat down on on a stream and was like, I haven't, I haven't looked at the PHB. I, I, he's like, I feel comfortable adjudicating, and I understand roughly what direction they wanted to take this edition, and I can adjudicate from there. And I'm like, dude, you. You've got to at least try to read because you're getting a lot wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, so I've I've read a lot of the, the PHB, but some you know I haven't read every spell. Sure, I probably need to, but you know I haven't read. Sometimes every spell. I feel like I need to, but I'm I'm gonna I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give all of us a pass on the spells, uh, and even the class the class stuff. Honestly. If we're gonna if we're gonna invoke the name of the patron saint Colville, one of the mm-hmm. things that he says that I completely agree with is that I'm not supposed to be an expert on your character. You are supposed you to are. be an expert on your character. So mm-hmm. whenever I ask you how does that work, you need to know how that works. You need to have your player's handbook open or your roll twenty or your D and D beyond, and you tell me, you tell me how it works, or, or at least have it at least to a point where I can take a peek at it really quickly and help you for any arbitration if there needs to be any. Yeah. Right. Another quick no. thing with inspiration, somebody said, uh, John, you said that bards with a jack of all trades get to apply their half their proficiency bonus to inspiration too, right? Yeah, I'd probably played for about a good four years and did not know that until about a year or two ago. Yep, so they wow. get they get half of their proficiency bonus apply, rounded down, applied to their uh, their initiative as part of the jack of trade jack of all trades yeah. feature. I guess it's initiative yeah. not inspiration, but it, it got my brain working so. Just one yeah. more reason to hate bards. Yeah. No, okay, so so to, to beat on this inspiration a little bit more. Um, from the PHB, inspiration is a rule the game master can use to reward you for playing your character in a way that's true to his or her personality traits, ideal, bond, and flaw. By using inspiration, you, your player, oh wait, and jump down. Your DM can choose to give you inspiration for a variety of reasons. Typically, and I say this as a, a bald place lie, typically, <laughs> DMs award it when you play out your personality traits, give in to the drawbacks presented by a flaw or bond, and otherwise portray your character in a compelling way. Your DM will tell you how you can earn inspiration in the game. That's what's in the PHB, so that's what most players are going by. Right. Yeah. I it's like, if that's if that's the thing, though, right? It's like that's the it's it is tailored to the audience, right? It's like here's what we want the players to kind of focus on at the very beginning when it comes to inspiration is this, and and then we're but we're going to give the DM the DMs more tools on the back. I don't know though because the because Mike Merles has came out and said that he intended for inspiration to be handed out like candy all yes. the time, yeah. and well, it didn't. It never happened. It's yeah. interesting because in the in in the in the DMG it says if you want to take anything away from this section, remember the golden rule: Inspira- inspiration should make the game more enjoyable, uh, and it should be handed out at least once per session to each player. And a lot of and a lot of DMs have it in their head that inspiration is only given out once per session. Mm-hmm. I want people to earn inspiration and use inspiration constantly in my games. That brings mm-hmm. up a great uh, note that I'll say for rules that we're getting wrong, specifically with AL. 
I intentionally do not let my tables have inspiration at the start of each game. Unless I have somebody just begging and looks like it's going to ruin their day if I say no. But if, if they just like, oh, hey, do we all start with inspiration? I'm like, nope, not at my table. You don't. Because you haven't done anything interesting yet. You ain't done nothing. Because what, what, now it's written in like, once you introduce, everyone introduces their characters, they get inspiration. That's that's the mm. blah mm. blurb yeah. in each AL mod. And I'm like, that's dumb. Like, that's what every person wants to do is introduce their character. Mm. You don't get inspiration for doing the thing that you're itching to do anyways. You get inspiration for... Yeah, doing something that I'm not expecting. <laughs> right. Um, uh, oh, okay. So I, do, do, you, you... I, do you guys give out pity inspiration? No. Nope. Or sympathy. Uh, uh, hang on. Let me, let me rephrase that. Sympathy. Sympathy inspiration. No. I, okay. I do. Unpack that. <laughs> I do. Like on, a, like on a death save? I'm, I'm like, going to. No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to. No, 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 no. Nothing so, nothing so sinister as that. Uh the I, I'm gonna call out one of my players on my, in my Friday games, Alan. When we were playing it at, the, at the at the cabin, uh, we talked talked about this before about the, the cabin trip. When we were playing, he rolled so badly. It was he had the most the cursed. I don't think he rolled over a nine the entire night, the entire night. And so I gave him sympathy inspiration. Like I felt so bad. I'm like, dude, take inspiration. Like fingers crossed, and you still would botch so, that roll. So what you're saying is you added to his misery by making him roll more dice lower than a nine. Am I not doing my job as a DM? Is that, <laughs> is that not like <laughs> fair? Uh, That's what I, I mean. I'm, I, not, I'm not saying like I yeah. like if they do something stupid, then I want to give them inspiration to try to get them out of trouble necessarily, mm. but. Like here's a mechanical thing that I can do that is like, look, I, I, as the DM, I'm I'm on the side of a good story, but I also I see you over there getting just waylaid. Yeah, nope. It's like unless you come up with like you know, if you give me like a good plan, I'm gonna, you know, I haven't hit all night. I'm gonna run up this staircase. I'm gonna grab a hold of the the chandelier rope. I'm gonna cut the rope. I'm gonna swing out. I'm gonna make a swipe at the guy. That sounds really cool. You get inspiration for that. But if you're just whiffing, 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 and you're standing in that same spot not doing anything, even trying to make it cool or trying to make it fun, no, you're going to stand there and whiff. <laughs> whiff oh, on your own. So, uh, players, please remember that's Troy Sandlin speaking. And, uh, yes. So if you you're at my table. surveys later. Yeah. So if you're at my table, do cool stuff, and I will give you inspiration. And Mike Merle said he wanted inspiration given out like candy. So guess what my inspiration is? Mm -hmm. It's candy. Yeah, I actually, do you guys, it, uh, I know we're kind of getting stuck on inspiration here for a second, but do you guys have your players help you remember? Because sometimes I will forget to give out inspiration. I want to give out inspiration, but I'm so concerned about like progressing the story, juggling, or like spinning plates behind the DM screen with monsters and all that that's other what, stuff. That's why I give out candy, because I have my, and I, I give out Starbursts. So I have a bag of Starbursts sitting right there. So mm -hmm. it's always looking at me so that when somebody does something cool, oh, phew, inspiration. Now, I'm also cruel with inspiration because I tell them, this is your inspiration. When you use it, you can eat it. If you absentmindedly eat it before you use it, you've lost it. <laughs> and it's amazing because I have seen grown men spit half-chewed starbursts out into their hand in the middle of a game 
and look at me with pleading puppy dog eyes like, I didn't eat it all the way. Can I still use it later? <laughs> you realize that you can't do that anymore in a post-COVID world, right? You, re- you realize that. You're just, you're just, you're, you're itching for infection. Sorry. Yeah, just, just put it back in your mouth. Just put it back in your mouth. <laughs> but that's, that's how I, that's, I use, I use those Starbursts. I use that candy to help me remember to give it out. Mm-hmm. Because you give out the inspiration? Of, what, the inspiration? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, that was really bad. Take, you know, take a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. I like I, there's been a few times where I'm like, you are de-inspired for that. Like, if if a person is being a jack wagon and knows they're being a jack wagon, I have been known to de-inspire them and be like, you have inspiration. Now you don't. Now you don't. Give it back. Uh, give it back because you don't deserve this anymore. <laughs> You're being. A jack I, wagon. I do that for really bad, like dad type jokes at the at the table. Yeah, I'll, that's a good. It's like, yeah. give, do you have inspiration? Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to hit dice. This is a short, sweet one. Uh, it's it's really simple, actually. Um, on a long rest, you only recover half your hit dice. Simple mm-hmm. as that, right? Um, how many of us forget that though? Like you, we're like, oh yeah, you just get all your health back, and that's the statement. Blah. We don't. Well, also, how many people give back if they remember? Oh, yeah, you get back half your hit dice. It's not half of your total hit dice. So if you only if you used two two hit dice, but you have four, you don't get two back. You get back half of those that you used. Yeah, rounded up. Rounded up. So long rest. It's a hit die. Next next time, it's the other hit die. Yeah. I see John looking like, wait, what? No. And this is, not, this is I think what this, we mean. I think this is a rule that I've, I've been this, getting wrong now. Imagine <laughs> Again, this, this every every five minutes in a D&D game, Troy. You have a good example of our weekend. When you're running away from Strahd. <laughs> yeah, and, and, Troy's, and John's over there, hmm. Hmm. Are you uh, sure I don't think that works. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that's how I thought, I thought that it was. Okay, see, like, the you can continue this the conversation because I'm looking this up. For each hit die, okay, so a character can spend one or more hit dice at the end of a short rest, long rest, yada, yada, yada. Uh, at the end of a long rest, a character regains all lost hit points. The character also regains spent hit dice up to a number equal to half of the character's total number of them. For example, if a character has eight hit dice, he or she Does it have that can example? regain four spent hit dice upon finishing a long rest. So it is see. half of it your It is maximum. the other way. See, I I thought for sure that I read that somewhere else. John is so or, happy. I'm happy the now, paper. Okay. I the ball. John is glowing. Okay, Everybody. again, again, this is I'm another one of those I'm having to dim my monitor to, to reduce the glare yeah, from John's yeah. glow. Yeah. 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 I thought that was just his big forehead. Oh, it's, it's definitely my forehead. <laughs> It's just it's no. Just, I got a lot uh, of cranium here. It's like we all have. We all have like. Really, it's for it's you know, for keeping. Be... It's for like keeping all this information about how to actually play the game, Troy. Carry on. Yeah. <clears> yeah. <throat> sure. No, that's. I thought that's the way that it was. But okay, again, so I was this good, and maybe this. Maybe I tainted my knowledge or lack thereof mm-hmm. by the fact that all of this stuff in Five E just makes everything so easy. Yes. Yeah. You know it. It's it's almost. Sounds like Warhammer would be a really good fit for you, Troy. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, screw you both. 
And well, you hey. know what? And you know what? Dragonlance sucks. <laughs> you can't you can't hurt me now, man. <laughs> you can't, uh, hurt, you can't hurt me. Uh, yeah. See, all this time again goes to show you the whole reason buying this podcast yeah. tonight. Absolutely. Uh, I let's, thought for sure it was only half of what you'd used. Let's talk I about like, passive perception real quick because we we are we are we've spent an hour at this point talking about things we've gotten wrong. And uh, are you surprised? I'm not surprised. We get a lot of stuff wrong, guys. Obviously, yes. uh, this is the yeah. only stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. Just think of all the stuff that we we. I could feel a whole about. podcast of specific examples. Now, bear in mind we we were starting Strahd at like what seventh level. Yeah. So we were all playing characters that at seventh level that we hadn't played before. Mm-hmm. And John was running a module that is meant to be run over like a year and a half mm-hmm. in four hours. So uh, we were all up to our necks. But I, we could do a whole podcast on just everything that everybody did wrong in that. Well, everything hours. that everybody missed, right? Yeah. Like, uh, there were several points where one per- like one of our players forgot the <laughs> – a really key piece of information or a, a function of a magical item that they had that would yeah. have like dramatically changed the landscape of the combat dramatically yeah. if they yeah. if they remembered it earlier. Yeah. yeah, and somebody was letting Strahd bite us willy nilly with no grapple. <laughs> what? And well, I, who did that? That and, wasn't me. And, and you even had a player. <laughs> I love this so much. It makes me so happy. And I don't care at all. I really enjoyed that fight. But it makes me so happy that Stoltz is like, don't you have to grapple somebody before you bite them as a vampire? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a regular vampire. Strahd's different. And, <laughs> and just moved on. And everybody's Strahd's like, different. oh, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Sounds good. See, and that's then, what I would have. I should have done that with like every single yeah, rules of arbitration. Yeah. Shut up. We're doing it like this. Shut yeah. up, Stoltz. Uh, fall, so, fall back to the bottom of the tower yeah, again and lay there and be quiet. I maintain that Stoltz was looking at the Strahd stat block when he said that and oh, still didn't yeah. correct you. Like, oh, yeah. Like, and it was, you know, his I eye was even, twitching on the back end. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you're like, no, 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 not Strahd. And he's looking at the Strahd stat box, stat block and be like, mm, mm. yeah, I felt for him. I also enjoyed it, though. So it's all fine. Oh, yeah. But geez. Okay. Troy, talk to us about passive perception. I hate it. That sums it <laughs> yeah, up right there. The end. The end. Uh, the way it is intended is your passive perception is basically your baseline. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't roll under that. Yeah. And to me, while you know all the all the players out there, like yes, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's awesome. That ruins that that goes back to me talking about you know for that uh for that kickstarter mm-hmm. and you know an investigative type thing that totally ruins any opportunity to you know find information or or or, or, or make the players work for it make the characters work for it because you, you can you can tweak out your characters you know to, to be walking around with a passive perception of 25 or more yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody. Yeah, yeah. Somebody out there was like, "Oh, I have a passive perception of 32." You know, okay. So, what fun is that? You're never yeah. going to be surprised. You're never going to not notice any little clue. So basically, every every module or adventure that you run, just tell them everything in the room. Tell them all the all the cool stuff and go. It goes back to. Exploration is not a real pillar in D&D. 
Right. If it was a real pillar, then they wouldn't give you a super easy way to bypass half of it. Mm. <laughs> um, but they don't really care about the pillar of exploration, and it shows, and they don't need to care about it. I mean, I could argue. And to counter your argument, Troy, I really like the idea, if I'm thinking about it, of an adult red dragon has like a, a passive perception of like 24. I really like that as a baseline that like you can't sneak up on an adult red dragon, right? Like it's impossible. They are too perceptive to me. Awesome. That's great. So if I feel that way about the dragon that they can't roll a one, they can't roll below a 24, then I guess I have to be okay with it on the player side as well. Uh, they are taking feats and things. I mean, they're using, they're 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 foregoing other things to get that. Yeah. But and I, yeah, you're right. I do see it as a fun killer. Um. But I guess it is what it is. It's like somebody having an armor class of twenty four too, right? Like, I mean, it's like, so you don't want to get hit. You never want to take damage. Okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. Not really. Well, but there you've got so many other ways, you know, saving throws and and things like that, that that you can get around an armor class of twenty four plus. If you're if you're just swinging at somebody with armor class of twenty four, eventually you're going to hit unless you're playing Warhammer Fantasy yeah. Warhammer. Um, <laughs> but with with this perception, usually it's a it's a one one and done. You you've I walked in the room. My glowing passive perception of 24 has seen everything there is to see, and we're done. So I purposefully purposefully get the whole passive perception thing wrong in my games. I use it as a qualifier. If you have a passive perception that meets or beats the, the DC of the check, then you get to roll to see if you can notice whatever it is that that check is there for. Mm-hmm. If if your passive perception doesn't meet or beat that, then unless you your unless the player says I'm going to look for something, you don't get to roll. You don't get the free roll of of seeing if you if you find something or not. And I also do things a little differently as far as those checks go, because um, I always hated in modules and adventures when the entire rest of the module hinges on you finding this one thing. And for whatever reason, the players walk right through the room. They don't announce that they want to do a perception check or investigate or anything like that. They just walk through the room. They don't do any of that stuff. So it's, if you fail that check, you get the barest minimum of the information you need to move forward the better you roll on that check the more information you get hmm. so you're hmm. never not hung up it's like well i guess we don't get to finish this adventure because none of us noticed the thing hmm. which is which is always it always sucks yeah. when that happens yeah. so yeah I, you know passive perception is just like you said, it's, it, it kills the fun because it's such an easy way to bypass exploration. And it drives me <laughs> bananas. Like, yeah. So do we do we get to discuss investigation now too since we talked about 
perception? I feel or do like, we need to do part two? I think we'll have to do a like we need. We'll do another skill episode. I think we did a skill episode early on, but maybe we need to do another one. Um, I'll, I think I'm going to let John tackle death saves, and I think we got to wrap it up because we're going to have a long episode here. <laughs> yes, we are. This is a really fast one, though, like yeah. super, super fast. Uh, and super. I figured that a death save was the a good thing to wrap everything up with in the first place. So um, I think that a lot of people forget that. I know that I had at the very beginning or got confused on what a death save actually is. Uh, it is a straight D20 roll. 10 or better, good. 9 or lower, bad. 9 or lower is a fail. And 10 or above is, is a succeed. And for the longest time, I say for the longest time, for probably, probably the first two years of playing 5th edition, I would apply the their constitution modifier to the roll. Uh, but uh, that's just something that I think it's an artifact of of death saves in the past, maybe applying that, like it's the logical step, <clears throat> the leap of applying your constitution to it makes sense. Yeah. It's just not rules as written. The it's other a, thing is just a 50, 50. Well, it's not even a 50, 50, right? Like that's the right, other that's side of this it is that I, I always did 11 or higher and I split it up the middle, but it's, it's not, it's intentionally put in the player's favor at 10 right. or better. Just a little bit of a bump giving your players that little bit of an opportunity. Um, so. But also don't forget that uh, death saves can be modified. If you're in a Paladin's aura that gives you mm -hmm. that the plus that uh, applies to your, to your uh, death save. If you're blessed, yep. that applies to your death save. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, I think that was pretty good. I enjoyed that episode a lot. I mean, hopefully what people take away is that John and Troy really no, don't nothing. know much. And <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yep. <laughs> and let it, let it be said that obviously Troy doesn't read. Troy has not read a book in 20 years. That's, I what, that's the other side of this. Do you read, bro? Yeah. Do you read? Uh, that's no. it. I'm I'm going to do a book report now. No, hopefully, hopefully, um, I would like to imagine that our discussion of this will, bare minimum, help us remember the right rules. And ideally, it will help others, you know, wh who maybe have these same issues, uh, seeing something and be like, oh, I did not realize I was doing that wrong, but now I can fix it and it makes, and I have an understanding of it. Um, that would be really great. Um, or maybe this sort of an episode just helps you keep in mind that even people who have been doing this for years get things wrong all the time, and that's and perfectly it's still fine. Fun, absolutely. And what those people do is pretend like nothing happened, so that they don't they're yes. going to maintain the illusion of superiority. That's right. And, or some of them just throw Starburst at, at the uh, at the players <laughs> until it goes away. Bribe them with sweets. Throw the so mm -hmm. throw yep. Starburst at the problem until it goes away. That's right. Um, that's yeah. right. So, uh, I think that was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting back into the swing of things with all these and, and cranking out some more episodes. Uh, that being said, um, we are going to, I'm going to try to keep doing this on a regular basis now. Uh, Troy has brought it to my attention that it needs to be more consistent. Um, but I'm going to encourage everyone to go to our Instagram page, which uh, has semi-frequent updates at this point. 
um, especially around our cons. You'll see when we when we do cons, you'll see quite a few updates then. And also go to our Facebook page at Bite Size Gaming uh, there as well. Um, our Facebook page is where you see, you know, when we drop new episodes or when we have Kickstarters that we're really excited about. I think our intention is to start posting a lot more links to the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast onto Kickstarter, onto Facebook. Um, but we really want that page to continue to be a resource, uh, for really cool content. Uh, for our listeners and pointing them in the direction of things that we're really excited about and pointing them in the direction of where we're going to be running next. Speaking of which, uh, by the time this episode comes out, we're going to be just days away from the first uh, D&D online uh, virtual weekend um, with Baldman Games that Troy is going to be running games for. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And I'm sure the rest of us will be jumping on that wagon uh, as we can when we can, um, in later months, I guess that's it. So, uh, for myself, I want to thank John and Troy for hanging out with me and uh, hopefully we'll get Catherine back here next week and we'll see you all then. Take care. Yeah. I'm going to go read my DMG. <laughs> I'll be reading it with you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. Have a good night. Good games. Yep. <laughs>